0: I don't like is this
1: Okay, uh, good evening and welcome to TNT. It's uh, great to have you here, I'm so glad you could join this evening to help um, yourselves and me get ready for Rosh Hashanah. So I asked um, everyone to bring your own machzor, right? Uh, B-Y-O-M, bring your own machzor. Um, <laughs> So I had to pull mine off the shelf as well. And there was sort of that feeling of, oh, it's time for Rosh Hashanah again. Um, and the word machzor actually means like um, to return to, right? From the root of lachzor, lach to uh, come back to, right? In Hebrew, what's the word for recycling? Michzor. Right? Like you're, you're you're bringing it back to the way it was. So the Machsor is supposed to sort of bring us back to where we were a year ago. And we sort of think about what's changed. Because every year we, when we take the Machsor off the shelf, we're approaching it from a different place. Right, We've moved forward. Um, we're in a different uh, season of life. And we uh, have different things that are on our minds and on our hearts that will come into play. Um, this Rosh Hashanah. So I always enjoy sort of cracking the binding, uh, and uh, sort of it's an invitation to check in and uh, to begin the, the process of introspection. Uh, did anyone else have that sensation or sort of experience when they took the... Kind of the the oh. mocks are off the shelf, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dust it off a little bit, yeah. Well, there's, there's the other
0: part of it that is, you pull out the old Birnbaum one, right? And you look at that one, which it's falling apart because it's old, and then you sort of look at the newer ones that you bought. So, you know, you end up bringing in the newer one because it's whatever, but you really want to bring in the older one, yeah, because
1: <laughs> it has all the memories and uh,
0: yeah, and the little notes, and whatever,
1: yeah. yeah, the stickies. (laughs) Um, So for me, I actually had to go back in time because (laughs) two years ago uh, when I was in Toronto, we used the Koren. Uh, Mahzor and then and then I got to here oh. and they're like no we still use the burn bomb <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh this is my new burn bomb. <laughs> oh
0: really? But I brought the new art scroll. <laughs> art scroll
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> it's i going to
0: agree on anything yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> people use this you know.
1: <laughs> Um So we're gonna we're gonna take a tour of the Mahzor but we're really gonna focus in on one uh, section and uh, uh, use that as the launching pad, and then we'll we'll talk about another section. So, the first section that we're gonna look at is the Haftorah of the first day, which is the Haftorah that relates the story of Hannah and her barrenness uh, and her. Uh, story um, of petitioning God and eventually giving birth to uh, Shmuel. And then, after we spend some time there, we're going to see how Chana shaped the um, uh, the structure of the Musaf Amidah. Uh, because Chana is known as the matriarch of Tefillah, Right. What she did is what we try to emulate and so indeed she had a significant impact not just on the daily routine of davening but also on Rosh Hashanah as well. Um, so I'll give you a minute to find um, the uh, Haftorah for the first day of Rosh Hashanah. I can't help you with a page because I, I, combo- I have the one I have the burn bomb which is both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur it's on page 296 um, in, in mine um, if, if you
0: have the, you have the- yeah it's the same one hey, if, you can, if you have in our scroll it's 416417
1: okay okay um so um, I'm gonna. I, I also made a little bit of a handout with just um, a few sources to supplement the Machzor. So you can take one of these, and we'll also refer to this as we go along. So we'll actually start with, with, with the first source on this source sheet. It just has a little bit of an introduction to Chana and how influential she was on tefillah in general. So the first source here is from Brachot, Lamad Aleph, Amad Aleph, and I'll read in the Hebrew and, and translate. Amar of Hamnuna, Kama hilchata gevor ta'ika mahani How many halachot can we learn from the Tfilot of Chana? From the psukim that um, relates how she petitioned God for a child. So aliba. So we see that Chana was that um, she spoke um, on or in her heart. And from that description of how she conducted herself, Mikan, we learn that when you pray you have to focus your heart. What's the Chidush? What's the novelty there? What might we have thought if not for Chana? What would be tfilah without kavanah, without focusing the heart? What, what, what could tfilah be if not that?
2: Very rote. I'm sorry? Very like rote, just like... Um, just Yes, just saying the words. Like your brain, but not your right? heart.
1: We could just be saying the words without actually um, understanding them or thinking specifically about what we want out of this uh, experience. Hi, Miriam. Welcome can take a source sheet. Um So it's possible um, that tefillah could just be uh, almost mindless behavior, right? Just sort of like uh, things we say, but not things that we have to necessarily mean. Um, but Chana came to teach us that, no, it requires medaberat el So we, we have to have kavanah. We have to focus our hearts and have intentionality in order to fulfill our requirement of prayer. So that's what one of, that's the first thing that we learn from Chana. The second thing we learn is Rak sifateha Naot, mikan palel So the Psukim say um, in the Haftorah that we're going to read on the first day that how did Chana daven? She davened by moving her lips. And from there we learn that you need to actually move your lips. When you in. so what? What was the havamina? As we would say, what? What? What would we have thought um, without Chana?
0: Just read it. It makes you think, concentrate more. You actually verbalize it.
1: Yeah. Right. We might have thought that you could just sit in some kind of meditative trance and just think things and feel things and even have focused thinking, right? But that's not sufficient for tefillah. Tefillah right? is actually something which needs to be said. We need to use our, our, our lips to actually utter and verbalize things. Right? It becomes a bodily act, not just an act of the mind or the heart. And we take this for granted almost, that this is what we do. right? But it's a chidush. It's a novelty that Chana introduced to the world of tefillah. That it's not sufficient to just think and feel, but we actually have to speak
2: it. Doesn't it strike you strangely, and maybe just the way my brain is processing this, that the most intense prayer, the Amida, is the one that we don't say out loud?
1: So, that's true, but we're actually supposed to mouth the words. That's true. Right? So the next uh, next, uh, item here is going to confirm that. Or affirm that um, even though we're not making it audible, we're still supposed to be using our lips to sort of in a soft whisper, right? That's not audible to our neighbor, but we're actually supposed to be saying the words in a way that our, our, our lips are, are, are going up and down. So the next uh, thing is the kola loishma. Right, the psukim say that her voice was not heard, that in the silent Shmona right? well, in the Shmona right? right? It's supposed to be silent. You're not supposed to be able to hear your neighbor. For the other parts of tefillah, it's a good thing to be able to hear a little bit of, to have a tefillah, to have some kind of audible uh, component of tefillah. We're supposed to say it like we mean it, right? We're supposed to be talking to God like he, you know, like we would talk to a friend. But with a tefillah, it's a little bit more, when I say tefillah, usually tefillah is, uh, is, is a term that refers specifically to the Shemona Esrei, right? So the Shemona Esrei is supposed to be done just through moving the lips, but not by making an audible sound okay um, and um, when Chana um, actually prayed like this in the Mishkan what did Eli the Kohen Gadol think she was doing? he thought what? She was drunk. that she was drunk it looked quite odd to have someone there looked like she was speaking but not making any sound right and so what did he accuse her of? that she was high that she was having some kind of uh you know, uh, experience that was created through some, you know, help, right? So the last line here is le shikora," that he thought she was a drunk. Mikan right? That's sort of a funny one, right? That she, he thought she was a drunk, and from there we learn that anyone who is intoxicated or anyone who has uh, any kind of (laughs) alternated consciousness through an external means, can't daven, because it's not the actual expression of self. It's sort of a a fabrication of self. It's not the true self that's um, uh, coming out. It's some kind of um, other uh, form. Of 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 expression, uh, so we see from Chana that there are how many halachot are here? There's one, two, three, four. Okay, and these are pretty significant halachot, and we see that Chana is um, one of the major influences on tefillah as we know it today, right? <laughs> Did I count it right? I think so. Yeah, there's a. Uh, we're supposed to move our lips, we're not supposed to make it audible, and we can't be drunk. Okay? Those are the four things that we learn uh, from Chana So why was Chana davening so fervently? What was the what's the backstory here? From Shmuel Aleph, right? The the, the opening of, of Shmuel Aleph from our um, in our haftorah, Haftor, just to read the first pasuk, is "Vayi'isha Chad Min Uh There was a man from this place um, called Ramatayim, so um, from the hill country of the territory of Ephraim. I'm, I'm back in the. Um, I'm sorry, I skipped. Just, uh, I'm back in the uh, ma'aser now. Maybe you might want to grab a Tanakh um, because we're gonna, here you go. uh, we're gonna be looking at a little bit at the Haftorah in um, Shmuel Aleph from the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so we see this um, man who's el Elkanah. So we have this man Elkanah, and he had two wives. His two wives in the second pasuk, V'shem Achat Schanah, V'shem Ashenit Pnina. So what do we know about these two co-wives?
0: One, one, didn't.
1: One, yeah. yeah, so Pnina was fruitful and Chana was not. Right. So already, who does this remind us of if we're thinking along um, the lines of figures in Tanakh who had trouble conceiving and who had co-wives that conceived right? So, not just think we you think about Sarah, thinking about, you think about, about Rivka, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about um, uh, Yaakov and, 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 and Rachel. Yeah. Um, so Rivka, less so, but definitely yes. uh, Rachel and Leah and Sarah um, and Hagar. Mm-hmm. Right, so we're, th- 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 this narrative is already sort of mapping onto a familiar narrative that we have. And indeed, Sarah and, and Hannah have a lot of, of, of overlap. There are a lot of um, links between the two personalities. Um, so, what was it that was driving Hannah to return to the question to make this impassioned fila? What was she asking for? Yeah, she was desperate to give Elkanah children and um, eventually what uh, what happens is um, Elkanah sort of gives up on her and Elkanah says okay. it doesn't look like we're going to be able to conceive but a- is not my company sufficient? Hmm? Right. Am I not as good as ten sons? Uh, he says "Right." and then um, right, he says Hello Anochi Tov and then Hannah um, loses it, and she goes um, to Shilo, to the Mishkan in uh, Shilo, or to the Beit Hamikdash in, in Shilo. And she um, there, she pours out her heart, and that's when we have this description of her, um, you know, mouthing the words of her having this kavana. And we have this whole introduction to her actual tefillah. So, what we're going to spend some time um, looking at now is the actual tefillah itself. So, the actual tefillah itself begins in Perek Bet, if you're in the Tanakh, or if you're in the Machs, or you can look for the words, Vatitpalel, Chana, vat, uh, Vatomar. Okay, it's, uh, there should be a break. It's... Um, the beginning of the second parak um, of um, of Shmuel Aleph. Do you see it in the uh, in the Mahzor?
2: Um <coughs> In English, does it start with "Lord of Hosts"?
1: Um.
0: <laughs> My house exalted. And well, that's Lady the Guide's chair. Yeah, that's okay.
1: where that's where it starts. Four two two. Okay, it's on four two two. Okay, yeah. so the the Mach-sor isn't as uh, helpful in terms of uh, giving us the the P'sukim, but we'll we'll try. You'll try to find it. Can did you find it, Amy and David? Do you have it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Four two two. You said. Yep. yep. Okay. You know, I just had a um, a question. Sure. Um, right after. Um, the beginning of the um parak where we find out the Khan is praying they add in this detail about eliz there and he has two sons which is kind of like a jab you know like what's that doing there i mean like, why do we need to know about his two sons all of a sudden in the middle of that story but yeah mm-hmm. um so we see, we find out that the, those two sons misbehave and um sort of uh, uh conduct themselves in in, in in ways that are unbecoming, and ultimately Ailey has to reprimand them and they lose out in following his uh, lead of being a Kohen. Uh, he has to sort of disown them for their behavior, um, but I assume you're suggesting- um, It's
0: like someone without children. Yeah. And
1: then here we have these two children. And right. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and what is it that, that Ailey, you know, Judges Hana for he, he judges her harshly as being a, a drunkard, as we said, mm-hmm. right. And here's someone who has kids, right. Judging someone who doesn't have kids, and saying you're a mess, mm. <laughs> right. Get get a hold of yourself, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So, so it's a pretty harsh um, judgment. Um, and um, I'll give you a, a sneak peek if you don't tell anyone that mm. uh, my the topic for my Drusha for my first day of Rosh Hashanah is going to be on Ailey's, um misjudgment here. Mm. And how he rushed to judgment and he actually told her right away what his judgment was instead of being patient and, and not sharing that immediate judgment because he was so wrong. He looked at her from a surface and saw something unusual and the circumstances were ambiguous, and he assumed the worst, and he caused intense pain upon uh, very deep levels of pain that already existed. So um, that's what it would, that can be part people, of.
0: People, people do that very unintentionally. It's a huge issue, yeah. actually. So if 10% of people have trouble with um, uh, conceiving, and but 4% can't. That means that within a circle of people, about one in ten are having trouble. Yep. And it's very common after somebody gets married or something goes on, people walk up to people and they'll say, so, so, <laughs> no. No. And for all you know is these people are really struggling with that. Yeah. So actually, there's a, there's a lot in this in terms of learning for us, in terms of how to, how to deal socially even. Mm-hmm. With this circumstance, but it's presumably it's something
1: that uh, you've dealt with, or this. It's a very delicate topic, um, but I think we're getting a little bit better as a community in being more sensitive um, to uh, issues of infertility, um, and because there there are more people who are talking more openly about it, so we're more aware of it. It used to be something that, that was so shameful that people really. You know, uh, wouldn't talk about it, and right. would and it would hold a lot of the, the shame in. But now there are many more support groups, and it's much more out there. I mean, there are, there are many organizations, you know, uh, that um, raise awareness for it. Um, and I, I try at least once a year to devote uh, a drusha to the the topic. Um, and I know my wife uh, also has devoted a lot of time to talking about halachic infertility and how the Medical, um, you know, um, developments allow for all types of <coughs> innovations uh, with uh, conceptions. Um, but um, yeah, uh, but I've, I've, it's a very, very important topic that we we would we would do. We should continue to become more sensitive about. Um, and even someone, a member of our of our show, uh, who's been very you know public about it, Carrie Bornstein. As a whole blog Um, she is um, a host mom for uh, a couple that um, couldn't have kids and so she is due any day now um, with a child that she's gonna be giving to the parents who Mm. provided you know the egg and the sperm Um, and in the hospital she's going to be handing the child over to this couple from England. this uh, It's an amazing thing, and mm-hmm. she has a blog that she's shared, and a lot of people from our community have been supportive. Uh, so that's just a, a, an incredible example of, of kindness that, that can be uh, brought into a very dark uh, situation for a lot of young couples. Um,
2: can I sort of look at the other side for a moment? Please. Um, you know how she was assumed to be drunk by the, the priest and he was saying you know all these critical things assuming the wrong thing and then she said oh do not take your servant for a worthless woman It is on account of my great anxiety distress that i've been speaking so far and then he clearly feels terrible and he says oh, go in peace may the god of israel grant you what you've asked of him and she said may your servant find favor in your eyes then that was it, the end of the scene but his saying to her that may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him might not have happened. Probably wouldn't have happened if she was just being a good little girl and just doubting quietly to herself. And the fact that he was so wrong and he felt bad, he, he blessed her with this huge blessing that was gonna be a big blessing not only to her personally but to us as a Jewish people, her son. Right. Right? And I'm not saying that he should have said it and clearly, you know, obviously he mistook what she was doing and we could get like really upset at him for that. But that, that because of that conflict, something amazingly good came out of it. And I feel like that's so true in our lives so many times. Right. That painful things that you just wish hadn't happened can like give birth, shall you say, to things, that like, things you learn about yourself or blessings that you wouldn't have necessarily gotten if it weren't for going through that sort of
1: narrow space. Right. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful idea, and it certainly works in retrospect. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I have a hard time... Um, suggesting that going forward. Yeah, no, you no, know? you don't want to be insensitive. <laughs> you don't want to Like, calm. I'm going to be like a bossy person. You no, know. But then, um, that, that right. the way it
2: played out here yeah. was exactly what yeah, it was I supposed Yeah, I mean, he, to he,
1: he had some kind, He felt, seems like he felt bad for his misjudgment, yeah. and yeah. he sort of said, I was wrong, and I hope, you know, that Hashem gives you what you want, because you certainly deserve it. So there's a sort of a nice ending to it. Um, but imagine if he had just said, it looks like you're in distress, what's going on?
2: Uh yeah. And then bluster.
1: Right, and then bluster, <laughs> right. So he could have avoided the sharp pain that he caused <coughs> by just being curious instead of being judgmental. Yeah. So, uh, Fair enough. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't want to give away my whole uh, <laughs> rundown, why, uh, so. why Rav should ask all the questions.
0: is not that. Rav should ask all the questions before they even answer. It could be the same question 500 yeah. times, but you have to go everyone's background before.
1: Right, before making up sock. Uh, yeah. Indeed. Um, okay, so this was all a way of introducing the Tefillah of Chana. and the Tefillah of Chana, which we'll we'll take a look at. The Hebrew is, is dense, so we might just read it through um, in English, so we get um, a sense of it. And be able, we'll do maybe I'll read back and forth from the Hebrew to the English. Um, it's um, It's ten psukim, Um and this Tefillah is is um, actually if you if you look in um, a machzor from the Edot um, HaMizrach, like uh, the Rosh Hashanah machzor, actually begins with this tefillah. It's used to frame the entire day um, because this tefillah is uh, considered a tefillah that is thought of to have been said on Rosh Hashanah. Right? There is an allusion um, in the tefillah to Hayom which is uh, understood to be uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah. And so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there eventually. Um, but this is a tefillah that um, is used as a, a frame for all of the tfilot of the day in our makh. So I think what we start with is um, Adon Olam, I believe is actually the... Mm-hmm. The first, uh, not the first in this, but uh, usually the first thing that's said together as a community in Ashkenazic shuls, the first and last is Adon Olam, right? Usually mm-hmm. we just say at the at the end um, on a regular Shabbat, uh, but the idea of Adon Olam, uh, of all about, is, is really about Malchut. Is really about uh, Hashem as King, um, and there are many references to. God's uh, reign in Adonai which is why it's appropriate for it to sort of serve as the bookends of the Machsor. But this of Chana that we're about to read also um, can serve and and does serve as an introduction and frame for the entire Machsor itself. Okay, so I'll I'll read, I'm going to read from the JPS translation because I think it's a little bit sharper than the one I have um, in here with uh, the Birnbaum, but um, you can follow along, and we'll just read it sort of briefly, and then come back to it a little bit more slowly. Okay, so Vatit el Chana Vatomar. So Chana prayed and she said, Alats um, bi my heart exalts in God, rama karni Bashem. I have triumphed, I have, uh, through Hashem, I um, gloat over my enemies, meaning I speak um, and, and can um, sort of brag almost a little bit, over my enemies, because I rejoice in your deliverance. So what state of mind is Chana in when she's offering this tefillah? Is it one of gratefulness? A one of celebration? Of joy, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's what. It, that's where it, it seems to be. So, when is she saying this tefillah?
2: After the baby's born.
1: Exactly. Right. We skipped mm-hmm. a lot um, between where we left off in the narrative and this tefillah, but indeed, she is saying this tefillah after she's already given birth to her son Shmuel.
2: And he may be three at this point, because she's mm-hmm. dropped him off already. Um. She brought the boy to the house. Birnbaum here. She brought the boy to the house of the Lord at Shiloh when he was but a child.
1: Um, On the the yeah. So it, it could be that it, I'm not sure if this tefillah was was said after um, he was born or after he handed her over to mm-hmm. um, after she handed him over to sir, the service in the mishkan um, or in the mikdash. I'm I'm not sure when it was said, but it was certainly said. Mm-hmm. Um, we can already see from the first pasuk that the tone is one of appreciation and not one of desperation and petition, right? So the tefillah that Chana that said when she was in tremendous pain, we actually don't have. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We only have the tefillah after the fact, mm. right? Which is interesting. Um, you know, we, we, we might speculate that um, tefillot, which are said... From a place of personal need, are so subjective and so personal that it isn't something which can necessarily be copied or sort of um, shared, right? Um, but all we know is the description of how she was conducting herself, um, a description of her emotions, but we don't know what it, what's actually what she's for. Right, we know. I mean, ultimately, that she was praying for a child, but we don't know the specific content of that. Whereas, we do have a window into her words after the fact. So that's what we're what we're looking at. But well, I thought she makes
2: a vow. I'm sorry. I thought she makes a vow. Isn't that part of her prayer so, before?
1: So that that's part of her. Um, you're correct. That vatidur vatomer Hashem kot. This is in pasuk yud aleph that she says, if I conceive, then I will dedicate my son, right? Um, but it seems like that is um, separate from her tefillah, right? Her tefillah um, seems to be after that. Right, the, the few came the few after that where she says so it seems um, I mean, that she, that what she's begging God for is actually um, to have the child but she sort of raised the stakes a little bit by saying if I get this child um, if I get this child then this is how I will uh, use him, I will dedicate his life to your service um, so I'm not sure if that neder is the tefila, um I mean, we, 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 we could, um, if we were going to go through the first chapter, we would, we would try and see if maybe uh, that description is a description of her um, saying the neder, but I think that they're separate. Um, Amy, were you going to share something? I just was, is this a, a, a prayer that she did say aloud as opposed to... Um, you know, silent. It would seem so. It would seem that it was said in an audible way as opposed to something that was just mouthed. Um, okay, so let's continue on a little bit. Um, so she says, kadosh <laughs> So she says, There is no, um, no one, there is no holy one like Hashem. Truly, there is none beside you. There is no rock like you, right? Um, this reminds us a little bit of uh, which tefillah that we sing, that the kids sing after mm-hmm. Ankelokenu, yeah, uh, yeah. right? So there are actually, we're going to see a lot of themes of tefillot that come from these tempsukim, and that's just one example. Moving on to the pesugimol, Al Tarbu uh, Tadabru Gavoha Gavoha Talk no more with lofty pride. Um, let no or um, atak let no arrogance uh, cross your lips. Kikel um de tashem because God is ultimately all knowing. Velo uh, the low ali lot. And by him, um, actions are measured. So he is the one um, who ultimately is able to know a person's true intentions and is able to be the ultimate judge of behavior. Um, So you should humble yourself and not speak arrogantly in front of him because God is the Bochein Lebavot. He is the one who understands the depths of a person's heart. Um, So she seems to be... Um, praising God, right, and um, sort of describing God's greatness—that there is no one as holy as God, there is no one as like uh, like a rock like God, there is no one who is can understand the human person like God. Okay, so this seems to be um, almost like a, a, a um hoda'ah um, and a shevach, right? Uh, a, a gratitude and of of praise. Um, continuing along here, Keshet um, Chatim, the bow and arrows of the mighty are snapped or broken. the Shalim and the faltering are girded with strength. Um, right, so even the people who are strongest will falter before God. Sveim um, Ballehem Nis Karu. Men once um, um, satiated with bread um, now rent themselves out, uh, you know, hire themselves out to gain money so that they can uh, make a living for food. Ure chadelu, and people who were on the streets and homeless and in food, you know, pantries are no longer hungry. Ad akara shiva, while the um, uh, barren woman you know, will suddenly have seven uh, children, Banim and the mother of many suddenly mourns, right? So here she's getting a little bit autobiographical, right? By saying that, you know, uh, <coughs> maybe a few months ago I was barren, and now I have a son. And whose power is that? Whose hands does that power lie in? And Hashem, right? Hashem can make the homeless person wealthy, the wealthy person homeless, the barren person fertile, and the fertile person still, you know, in agony, right? So all of these huge, significant life changes ultimately are in your hands, God. And she's just providing all sorts of examples, one of which overlaps with her personal narrative. Um, and then this is a phrase that we uh, are f- probably familiar with Hashem memit u michayeh. This is a phrase um, that we say um, at the grave during the Tziduk Hadin when we invoke the justice and uh, the presence of, of, of God um, during the or really right after the burial right after the coffin is, is placed in the ground and earth covers it this is the um, refrain of that um, that Hashem that life is in the hands of, uh, of of God, and God causes um, life, and God causes death. Hashem um, Morish Uma Ashir, He causes wealth, and He causes um, poverty. Mashpil Af He can cast one down, and also lift one up. Mekim Meafar Dal, He can uh, raise up the poor from afar, from the dust, me'ashbot, yari Um he can lift up the needy, loshiv nidivim, um, to sit with the nidivim. Nidivim are like the princes, the kiseh kavod, Yanchilem, and give them um, an honorable seat, right, what tefillah does that remind us of? Hallel. Hallel, okay, so we sing this in Hallel, um, um, the that that phrase, right? Kila um, uh, um, Hashem mitsuke Va vayashet alehem tevel, uh, because Hashem has the pillars of the controls the pillars of the earth, and He has placed the world upon those pillars. Uh, meaning, God calls the shots; He pulls the strings um moving on to the second to last verse here verse 9 ragle chasidav ishmor he guards um the you know the 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 ways or the steps of his chasidim the people who are faithful to him and he allows the wicked to perish in their uh darkness yigbar ish because Ultimately, it's not by physical strength that a person perseveres or prevails in life. And now the final pasuk, Hashem um, ichatu uh, mirivav. Um, the enemies of Hashem are uh, destroyed. Um, Alav bashamayim yareim. He thunders against them from the heavens. Hashem yadin avsearetz. Hashem judges the inhabitants of the world. Ve'iten owes them and um uh and we should give um or we should attribute might or power to his kingdom and um and give triumph to his anointed one, okay um so the anointed one might be a um a reference to who
2: or it could be her kid
1: her son mm-hmm. it's her son, right because she. Um, designated her son to be the appointed one to serve in the Mikdash. So, Mm -hmm. is this tefillah about God? Mm -hmm. Is it about her? Is it about her son? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: The answer is yes. (laughs) Right? Um, And so, this is the tefillah that we read during the Haftorah because um, it uh, conjures up some of the most fundamental aspects of human life and also puts God in the place that he is meant to have and to inhabit on Rosh Hashanah, right? The theme of HaMelech, of the one who is the Shofate, the one, the king who sits on this throne and lets everyone come through and passes judgment over each, each individual, right? So there is um, the themes of this tefillah certainly resonate with the themes that we are familiar with and, uh, in Rosh Hashanah, and um, I would argue that the Tefillah of Chana is actually where we get mm. the themes of uh, Rosh Hashanah. If this Tefillah actually, was actually set on Rosh Hashanah, which we're going to see in our last source, uh, uh, was the case, then it would make a lot of sense that this would be the primary source for looking at what tfilot of Rosh Hashanah should look like. Mm. Okay? So interesting. So I want to... Um, um, yeah it doesn't seem like a prayer in, that in what sense it's it's laudatory it's
2: it's you know praising it's like some some like if you were saying to somebody like this is this is why this is this, this is good it's like a mm-hmm. almost like an explanation right as opposed to um you know, the, when in the beginning we were talking about, you know, her her silent prayer
1: where we sort of, you know, crying out or needing, this seems very laudatory. Right. You know? um, like you were sort of explaining in kind of a public way, um, it's not even a prayer to Hashem necessarily, it's like sort of a, almost like a song or a poem or a, <laughs> an ode
2: kind of type
1: of Yeah, format. I think it's a great point that you're making, Amy, and I would... Respond by saying that there are different kinds of tefillot, and the three main forms that we're that, that we're familiar with is shevach, bakasha, and hodaah. Shevach is praise of God. Um, bakasha is petitionary prayer, right? We're requesting for something specific, and hodaah is like gratitude for good things, right? And so, if we were to try and situate this among those three main categories of tefillah, um, I would put it somewhere between the shevach and the hodaah right? Um, this is not petitionary at all. There's no request made here, uh, explicitly at least, right? Um, it could be that she does want, you know, at the end that she's asking for something for her son, right? And it could be that when she says, you know, a barren mother has seven children, right? Maybe she's asking for more children, <laughs> Right? But it's not. But she's certainly not saying, "God, give me more children." Right? It's not in the explicit way that we think of petitionary prayer, right? Um, but but that um, schema of tefillah of shevach, bakashan, hoda is so fundamental um, to the different type of tefillah that we, you know, the Shemona esrei is uh, divided into those three types, right? We have um, the bakashot are in the middle um, and uh, the Shevach um, in the beginning, and then the Hoda'ah at the end, right? And all of Tefillah, by Jonathan Sachs, in his introduction to his his Sidur, it's not new anymore, um, actually looks at that schema of those three types of prayer and says that actually that maps onto the entire structure of, of Shacharit, uh, from to Zimra to the Shemona Esrei, and he mm-hmm. looks at it as sort of fractals and like... Uh, and, and it's really a beautiful piece, but the basic uh, idea is that tefillah has three primary forms, and this is, I would say, two of those forms. Um, and on Rosh Hashanah, right, are there bakashot? Are we petitioning God for anything on Rosh Hashanah? If we were to flip through the machzor. Well, I
0: thought
1: it's shokhari.
0: Shokhari? Yeah. Not, right?
1: We yeah. Don't have the... So, We're not. Right, we're following Chana's lead here, and, yeah, and 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 it's going to be even more explicit if we take a look at source number three on the source sheet. So if we take a look at the Gemara and Brachot on 29a, we'll see that actually it was this Tefillah which set the structure for um, the Tefillot on Rosh Hashanah. So let's read this. So Hani Shiva Can I give Me. So the question is, on Shabbat. The Shemona Esrei that we have has how many blessings? Seven. seven, right? It has the three opening, the three concluding, which are consistent with <coughs> the, um, <coughs> bless you, which are consistent with a weekday uh, Shemona Esrei. And then we have one in the middle, right? Mekadesh HaShabbat, right? right? So those seven um, blessings, to who do they correspond? Or why is it that there are seven, right? Normally we have 18 or maybe 19 Blessings of Shemona Esrei uh, during the week. Why there are seven? So Amar Rabbi ben Shaol Keneged Shiva Kolot. Amar David Al Hamayim. Right. So this is the Mizmor that we say when we're putting, when we're turning the Ark to the Torah, and we sing, you know, um, Mizmor. Um, um, right? We sing Havu L'Hashem Bnei Elim. Right. We say the word Kol seven times in that Mizmor. Right. And so, after those seven kolot, right, David, who was also an exemplar of prayer, the fact that he called out seven times in that filah indicates that we should also be calling out seven times on Shabbat. Okay? So, from there, we learn the structure of Shabbat Shemoneh Esrei. So, the seven, uh, excuse me, the nine... Blessings that we say on Rosh Hashanah are and Me are, are correspond to who or where do we get them from? How do we know that we should have nine and not seven or eight? All right, and what what are the what are the nine blessings of Shemona Esrei on Rosh Hashanah? So we have the first three and the last three are consistent, and then we said that the middle three, <coughs> excuse me, are um are um right, our Shofrot, Malchiot, and Zichronot. Um. Right, they relate to the kingdom of God, His Majesty. Um, they relate to zichronot, which are about the the sort of a history of time and and, and future, of the past and future. And then shofrot, a history of shofar and Tanakh. Right, um, just sort of broadly speaking. And then we we have we have the kedushat hayom, which is morphed into the first uh, of those th- of those three sections, which is, Sh- which is excuse me, Malchiot. Uh, because Melchior establishing the kingdom of God, is ultimately the the most significant of the themes. Um, So to answer the question, Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, so he was from that city, So where do we know that we should have nine blessings in the Musaf Amidah of Rosh Hashanah from Chana? Which aspect of Chana's tefillah? She says Hashem, Hashem. nine times in the Temp that we just read. Uh, okay. mm. So who were Chazal looking to when they were setting up the Tfilot for Rosh Hashanah? They were looking to Chana, right? Mm. She is the matriarch of the Machzor. The question almost becomes, how come we don't, how come not all the Shmona Esres of Rosh Hashanah have the same nine blessings, right? It's only the one of the Musaf Amidah. Right? That's a question for another time, but um, if we want to be consistent with Rosh Hashanah being set by the precedent of Chana, then that's a valid question. Did we, did, did you check it out? Miriam, it worked? It checks out? Okay. (laughs) 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 Just want to make sure they got their math right. (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, So I I, I would like to um, take it a step further um, before we conclude, which is to say that it's not just about the structure of Chana's tefillah. uh, uh, It's not just about the structure of the tefillah of Shemona Esrei on Rosh Hashanah, that emerges out of Hannah's tefillah of saying Hashem's name nine times. But I think there's also some overlap in the content of the themes of Rosh Hashanah, of the Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofarot. So if we were to look at this, these ten sukim, where might we see some of those uh, themes uh, emerge? Did anything jump out to you? In terms of uh, those three topics, any links? <coughs>
2: you mean in this prayer, in her prayer? In her prayer, yeah. yeah. It seemed like there were definitely three distinct blocks: the two short ones at the beginning and the end, and then the long one in the middle. Okay. So the short one where she's saying, "Thank you, you really did it for me," you know, "You gloried me," I laugh at my foes, and then she goes right into the praise, which is like two, th- two thirds or three quarters of the whole prayer, and then at the very end, those lex. The last seven lines she really says, like, but you know, you decide everything, God, but there is something we can do, which kind of reminds me of the, the prayer and the to, to you know, the Siddhartha and all that stuff, and Because we keep repeating that, because there is right. a little something that we can do to, to uh, increase our odds. Right. <sighs> we can be good, you know, because you're going to get rid of the wicked and you're going to, you're going to, and then she just does that in the last seven lines there.
1: Yeah. Um,. Good point. Um, any other links that you can sort of detect here? So I think in the last pasuk, I'd like to suggest if we look at the the, the conclusion of the um, of the tefillah, I think there's a few winks there to the themes. Hmm. If we see Hashem Yadin Afse right, that Hashem judges all the inhabitants of the world. That is quintessential Malchiot, right? That God sits on the throne and judges all the inhabitants of the world, right? Um, So I think that's um, really in in Hannah's words we see a clear uh, manifestation of Mm Malchiot, and I think Malchiot is probably the most explicit um, part of her tefillah because. She constantly, or she several times, she talks about God's power, His His uh, His omnipotence, mm-hmm. right? Hashem uh, mm-hmm. mimitu michya, right? Morid sho'ovayal, morishu ma'asher, that God is, is totally in control, and and Malchit is all about establishing the control of God over the world and recognizing that control, right? So I would say that that the core of her tefillah is about putting God on His throne. Putting the crown on his head, if we could make it so anthrop- anthropomorphic, right? Um, but I think um, beyond shofr, beyond malchiot being the uh, the the sort of the main link to uh, that, that emerges from this tefillah to form the uh, the core of Rosh shana davening. I think also um, at the end va'yarem Karen mishicho. What does um, Karen mean? It's a horn, right? How is the Mashiach, uh, how is the appointed one, going to be um, anointed mm-hmm. through the shofar, mm-hmm. right? That's part of the ritual of anointing the king. Um, um, the shofar is used for many different functions in Tanakh, for calling, uh, you know, uh, the army to war, um, but it and it's also used in the in the, the Beit Hamikdash. Um, but it's the primary instrument for the coronation of Hashem's messenger, the Mashiach. Mm. Right, so we see um, here uh, a direct link to Shofarot, right, uh, another section of the Musaf Amidah. Um, and I think Zichronot is a little bit harder to find a link um, to, um, but there are a few... Um, places, not in this tefillah itself, but in the surrounding psukim, which um, talk about um, um, Hashem remembering Chana. Mm. Um, uh, I I know you don't have the psukim in front of you, so I'll just uh, share it. It's uh, in Pasuk 19, uh, in pasuk Yud Tet in parak Aleph it says kereha uh, Hashem mm-hmm. Hashem remembered Chana right mm-hmm. that's zichronot and then um, later on in pas in, in parak Bet in pasuk Chaf Aleph it says mm-hmm. ki pakad Hashem at Chana what does pakad mean he remembered right mm-hmm. so I think that there 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 is an allusion um, to Hashem remembering the past and our history also uh, mixed in here, and this helps really set the, the tone uh, for Rosh Hashanah Davening. Um, and um, this is, you know, uh, we could argue the primary source for, this is where Chazal were looking when they were crafting um, the, um, the themes of, uh, of Rosh Hashanah Davening. Um, So, it's uh, already nine, so we'll conclude, um, but I hope this provides a little bit more background to the Machzor, and hopefully provides a little bit more meaning to our tefillah this Rosh Hashanah.